The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The teachings of the Ascended Masters are universal and available to all. The Ascended Masters themselves are the saints and sages of East and West, and their teachings incorporate the original core beliefs of all the world's major religions. No matter which religious path you follow, you will find these teachings equally compelling. This is The Open Door. Come along with us as we explore the teachings of the Ascended Masters. Here are the hosts for The Open Door, Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. And greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Open Door, the online voice of the Summit Lighthouse, where we publish and practice the teachings of the Ascended Masters, and we invite you to awaken to the light within. I'm Tom Schumacher. And I'm Terry Kennedy. And we also want to welcome Sid Bennett in our con- into our conversation. Hi, Sid. Gentlemen, good to be here. Hello, Sid. Good. How is everybody doing today? Doing Great. good. Good, yeah. good. Well, this feels like a good day today to do a show. <laughs> um, today we're continuing with our examination of reincarnation as a necessary ingredient on our spiritual path as we move ever closer to the moment when we will ascend. Which won't happen until we <laughs> balance at least how many? 51 percent. 51% of our karma. And it is our accumulated negative karma that keeps us in continuous rounds of embodiment. Yeah, it's you know important to remember that, in other words, we're going to keep coming back until we get it right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it is really through the mercy of God that we are granted repeated opportunities to do that. And uh, we'll hear more about that in a few minutes. Yes, we will. Now, last week, uh, we began uh, what will be an extended series of shows on this subject of reincarnation with our focus on the lives of some famous and a few infamous historical figures. (laughs) Well, that's right. It will be our intention to show how their lives were influenced by past embodiments and by the karma they made during those earlier lifetimes. Today, we're actually going to be examining the lives of two very famous people, and we're not going to tell you who they are just yet. That's right, not yet. You get to guess, and that when Mrs. Prophet delivered this uh, these series of lectures originally, that's exactly what she did. She did, and so we were really scrambling. Who is this person? Oh, yeah. well, that would be fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it will be because again, you will hear how the lives of these famous people were shaped and influenced by past embodiments and the karma that they made in those earlier lifetimes. You know, and as we did last week, we should point out here that the lives of the famous figures will be examined today have been chosen from among a fascinating lineup of individuals mm-hmm. whose lives and embodiments have been detailed in a remarkable collection of lectures I mentioned that Mrs. Prophet gave, yeah. entitled Nine Cats and Nine Lives. Well, that's right. And these lectures are all on DVD, titled, you know, appropriately, Nine Cats and Nine Lives, which, you know, technically covers the lives and embodiments of seven historically significant individuals, not nine. A cat's proverbial nine lives is simply a means to evoke, you know, this concept of repeated opportunity to balance our karma 
and right past wrongs. And do you think cats have karma? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe that's the reason for that nine thing. But these individuals highlighted on this DVD are all people you will recognize, like the famous soul we learned about in our last program, Mm -hmm. who was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah, and in the coming weeks, we'll learn fascinating details about the many lives of other historically significant individuals. And I think it's safe to say that this is real, <laughs> unlike anything, Tom, that you'll ever hear anywhere else. <laughs> yep, pretty, yeah, pretty that's much true. That's true. <laughs> and like we say, reincarnation is a reflection of the infinite mercy of God to offer us opportunities to finally get it right. And that's why we focus on this subject so much. It's really important because until we do things differently... We're going to make the same mistakes over and over again. You got that right. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And, you know, opportunity is the key word here. Each embodiment we live through includes circumstances, lessons, and relationships that give us priceless opportunities to correct past mistakes and right past wrongs. This is so important because we must balance our negative karma if we hope to ascend. And the ascension is the goal of life. It is. And, you know, working through our karma normally would not be a one-lifetime proposition. I mean, <laughs> no. we, you know, we make karma and we balance at the same time. Mm-hmm. What, what may have taken a thousand lifetimes to accumulate might require a bit of time to resolve. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but thank God we can accelerate the balancing of our negative karma with the help of the Ascended Masters and the incredible Violet Flame. As we've said, you know, so many times in past shows, when we apply the Violet Flame diligently we really can greatly accelerate the transmutation of our negative karma. Yeah, that's right, Tom. And application is the key. Just knowing about something is not enough. Yeah. We apply the violet flame to every life situation and circumstance that calls for cleansing, mercy, transmutation, joy, forgiveness, whatever it is in your immediate life or going back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because every situation we face in life offers us clues as to what our karma is, with whom and how to resolve it. Well, you know, and that's the point for today is this is why studying past embodiments of famous people can be helpful because we know them for their talents and accomplishments in this lifetime. And by looking back, we can see how and why their life situations and circumstances unfolded as they did. And through these examples, we will better be able to see where our own karmic resolution may be most readily available (laughs) and resolved. You know, you might like to know how Elizabeth Clare Prophet was able to detail the lives she examines in her lectures on reincarnation. With the help of the Ascendant Master, she was given the ability to penetrate the veils of time, examine what's called the Akashic Records of certain souls, and give us a very revealing summary of souls' past lives. And I'd like to add something here is that many times people that have psychic abilities, you know, do not get a pure stream or an accurate stream, even though they may be very sincere. Mrs. Prophet, because of the sponsorship of the Ascended Masters, got it right. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, all of this that she did and the Masters did was to illuminate how our own past lives and karma have shaped our current experience. Well, our own is key there. You know, we must yeah. return, as it were, to the scene of the crime to balance our karma. And when we re-embody, it is always with the hope and belief that this time we'll get it right. And by God's grace, we will, understanding that we may not have limitless opportunities. In other words, it would be in our best interest to take full advantage of the opportunities we are given right now and get to work. You know, that's so true, Tom, because what happens is certain karmas you have to have an environment or a situation to do it in. For example, someone that made karma on Atlantis when the civilization was very advanced, um, say through the media of some kind, that karma really couldn't be balanced until now when the civilization has progressed to the point where they can have the same kind of dynamic and situation. So not knowing what's going to be coming in the future on planet Earth, you know, strike while the iron is hot, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. seize the day, whatever you want to call it. 
but don't be passive in the light of your karma that you're facing because there's a reason you have it and there's an opportunity finally to balance it. You know, and something I've heard you say before, um, and this is, I think, very apropos to what we're talking about today, is that there is an exactness to karma. You know, it isn't just a matter of some kind of generalized balancing. This is pretty... It's very specific. You know, I'm amazed at the exactness of karma. And, of course, you can talk about relationships and circumstances that come again. But this goes down to a fine level of detail that literally is beyond our comprehension. And before the development of computers, you could hardly think that even the mind of God could (laughs) hold that information and bring everything together. So even the little things count. It's not just the big things. It's the little things that we do also count. Yeah. Like every... Every jot and tittle. Something it? like that, yeah. yeah. I think I've heard that before. And, you know, when we go, when we do the violet flame and we, you know, work on our past lives and transmuting all of that, basically we're, we're unmasking our real self. You know, we're peeling back labor, layers of, you know, like you think of an onion or something like that. So I'm it, thinking of an onion right now, Terry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, and when you get to the center of that onion, that's oh, who boy. we really are in God's eyes. Well, I think we realize not only do we transmute <laughs> karma, but we clear our auras. Yeah. And yeah. when we clear our auras, we can see more clearly. It's just as simple as that. Yeah. Who we are, where we want to go, what we want to do. And so all this miasma and fog that's around us, it can be dissipated. It can be gone. Right. And all of a sudden, what you couldn't see before becomes crystal clear. You know, I want to say something about a violet flame, if I may. And I read something when the master said the other day, you know, giving the violet flame is really a token offering on our part for, mm-hmm. for, for our karma and so forth. But the point is, because we are willing to do it and invoke it in devotion and in love, there is the mercy of God that gives us the opportunity to balance megatons of karma. Oh boy. And so you can see it is grace and mercy, but we need to do something. We need to exercise our free will. It's not a free lunch, so to speak, although pretty close <laughs> to it is so wonderful. Well, it really yeah, is. But as close as we're probably going to get spiritually anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm reminded of something that, that we often see this uh, in print where we'll talk about the real self with the capital R and the capital S, in the same way that we capitalize God. Mm-hmm. And in, that, in this context of karma, that capitalization represents the way God sees us. This is the, our true reality as God-directed, God-free beings, as we like to say. And if you're looking at life through human eyes, you're not going to get the story straight because we tend to, we, we color it with our own experience or circumstance or Perhaps sometimes we get caught up in sympathy rather than compassion. All these different things. That's not how God sees us. There is a purity to that vision that we can reestablish in our lives by doing the violet flame. That's true. As again, it clears away the debris. Yeah. You know, and God can see us as we are, but we can't see God as He is right now because of all this karma and substance in our worlds that's got to go. Yeah. And and the violet flame is the best way to deal with it in devotion, love, and service. And, you know, sometimes you've got to get your finger pricked to feel the pain. <laughs> but yeah. nonetheless, the violet flame does so much that it's our chance to use it. And if we don't, it's a great opportunity lost. Yeah. And, and all of this that we, uh, that we create, say, in the, in the human world, really is, is phony. It's uh, in, in God's eyes. I mean, so much of it because, the, you know, the human won't ascend. Well, yeah, and so we're not it's, here to perfect the human. Right, and so it's phoniness here, and, and at God's level, he doesn't see that, you know. Yeah, well, and we always have a choice. Yeah. You know, as we, as we look at these lives today and hear from Mrs. Prophet, you know, you can see how the karma outpictures. And remember that you can change your karma. You know, if you've got karma coming down the pike, which we all do, of course, <laughs> now yeah. you can change it before it gets there. So some of the really tough situations can be really mitigated by the use of the violet flame. If we start now, get ahead of the game. Don't wait till it comes to your doorstep. 
But, you know, that reminds me, too. We've talked about this. We've kind of hinted at it, maybe teased at it a bit. But we do have this mechanism called the cosmic clock. We've got to do a show on that one of we these do. days, you know. The cycles of your karma. Yeah, because that'll, yeah. that'll give you a little advanced warning of what's coming down the pike. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think would be good for all of us to yes, know. Yes, indeed. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about how, uh, you know, we're co-creators with God. And so when we transmute all of this, it gives us an opportunity to really begin to co-create with God and think in terms of not at the human level anymore, but... but uh, with the assistance of our Holy Christ Self, which is the mediator, which allows God not to see the imperfections. Well, of course, Jerry, we are we're co-creators God all the time, and that's you know yeah. we've taken God's energy and made karma with it, negative karma. Right. Yeah. And of course, we can also choose now to take God's energy and balance that, repolarize that energy, so it then goes up to our causal body. Which, if you've seen the chart of the presence, it's at the very top with all the the light and the colors and so mm-hmm. forth. So we're always co-creating. The idea is to co-create correctly, Correct. yeah. and that's what we're trying to do. And the violet flame. You know, it changes history. It's as simple as that. I mean, you think it's impossible to change history. It's not. You can change history through the use of the violet flame. And you can go back and have these scenes in previous lives. You may not see them on the outer, Mm -hmm. but you can change the whole equation there. And, you know, I mentioned this before, but I love it when God, you know, in in the New Testament says, and God will remember your sins no more. They're gone. Yeah. I know. Well, speaking of the past and past sins and et cetera is here, um, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will uh, listen to the first uh, segment of um, this re, uh, examination of famous peoples in their past lives. So we hope you will stay with us. Please do. And when we return, we'll hear that first segment. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. At the Summit Lighthouse, our goal is to help you awaken to the light within and discover your real self. Today, thousands of spiritual seekers all around the world are using the universal teachings of the Ascended Masters to make their higher selves a permanent part of their reality. And you can too. The Ascended Masters are the saints and sages of East and West from all major religions and spiritual paths. They have walked where you walk and understand the challenges you face, and their teachings are always practical. By applying the science of the spoken word through verbal prayers called decrees, the masters teach us how to harness the healing power of the violet flame and other spiritual energies to transform our lives and our world. On The Open Door, it is our goal and great joy to bring you Ascended Master teachings that you can apply in your life right now. To learn more about the Summit Lighthouse and the teachings of the Ascended Masters, visit us today at tsl.org and discover how you can awaken to the light within. It's what you're here to do. Remember, tsl.org. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. And we are back, everyone. Thanks for staying with us. Um, before we continue with this um, series, wanted to say that uh, you can always get a hold of us um, also through tsl.org. 
that's our website. Uh, a lot of stuff that you might want to know about our organization is there. Um, very accessible. Uh, we invite you all to go. Often we invite people to go to tsl.org at the end of the show, but maybe not there by then. So um, tsl.org. Okay, so um, please visit us whenever you feel the urge. Now, in our history and culture, certain figures stand out for their accomplishments. What put them in the right place at the right time and what propelled them to do what they did? Perhaps their past lives can give us clues to the choices they made. In the following lecture excerpt, Elizabeth Clare Prophet gives us an example of how the past forms and informs the present. We take the next life, the next individual. Life number one, Atlantis, male. He lived in the very distant past when Atlantean tribes were first uniting to form a collective government. He was a leader who organized four tribes to fight together and establish a joint government. The coalition fell apart when he demanded one of the wives of the other leaders. When the leader refused, he took that wife anyway. War resulted. This is how the abduction took place. He sent a picked band of men to abduct her from her tent one night. The men killed six guards creeping up through the dust and slitting their throats with sharp stone knives. Later the war went against his tribe. In an outburst of anger at him for his folly, the tribe sacrificed both him and his new wife to the gods. Each was tied separately on a platform of wood. Their stomachs were sliced open. They were left to have their organs eaten by birds until they perished. Life number two, Atlantis, male. Again, he became a military leader. The time was about 10,900 B.C. It was some time after Philos the Tibetan, for those familiar with his story. He was a member of the military council responsible for the nation of Atlantis. Tribes from the north were threatening one of Atlantis's most prosperous provinces, This leader favored negotiation and tried to work out a settlement with the tribes. It was a time of economic difficulty and civic strife, and so his settlement was popular because troops would not have to be committed to defend the province. When the tribes invaded the province, slaughtered every man in the capital city, and took the women and children as slaves, this man was devastated. He resigned from office. He was deserted by everyone—friends, wife, and children— He ended up committing suicide. He threw himself off a white marble bridge into one of the capital city's narrow ravines. It was rocky with a shallow stream at the bottom. He was killed instantly. Life number three, Atlantis, male. He was reborn as a slave in the last days of Atlantis and was forced to perform menial labor in the fields. This was a partial paying off of his karma for the military disaster when the Atlantean province was invaded by the northern tribes. He was taken by his master to the American continent to watch over his affairs there. The master returned to Atlantis, leaving him in charge of a mining operation. Soon after, the Atlantean continent sank. Thus, he was one of the few Atlanteans to survive the sinking of the continent. After Atlantis sank, he helped to organize a primitive government among the survivors. He lived to an honorable age and was respected for his ideas. In middle age, he met his twin flame, but she was married to someone else. She acknowledged him, but went with her husband. He never married. Life number four, ancient South American civilization, female. She was abducted from her father's home. A rival tribe forced her to serve as a prostitute when she was young. 
When she grew older, she was sent to do menial labor in the fields. In old age, she was assigned to help care for the daughter of the king. This was the same soul she or he had abducted on Atlantis. This was her opportunity to pay off some of the karma for the abduction and subsequent death of the woman on Atlantis. She gave great love and affection to this girl and developed a bond with her. She was buried with honor when she died. Life number five, southwestern United States, 5000 B.C., female. She belonged to a tribe that lived peacefully together. Her husband was the woman she had abducted on Atlantis, her twin flame. They had a happy and productive life. She bore five children and raised them all to a healthy adulthood. She passed her test of learning to nurture and serve life. Life number six, Far East, male. He became a great warlord. His major test was the use of power. He passed some tests and failed others. He was responsible for cruel torture and the institution of brutal punishment of criminals throughout his province. He had a favorite concubine, but he ordered her death after hearing rumors of her infidelity. He believed the gossip. He had really loved her and was quick to believe the rumors because he did not want to be humiliated. He ordered her head, hands, and feet cut off and her body thrown to the dogs. He accomplished some good in this life. He made a truce with other warlords and presided over an era of peace and prosperity, and he fought several brilliant battles. Before coming to power, he publicly humiliated his enemies and caused their downfall by rumor and gossip. This was karma he would have to pay off in future lives. Life number seven, England, 1650 to 1722, male. He was John Churchill, Duke of Marlborough. John Churchill has been called one of the greatest military commanders in history. He was born on May 26, 1650. At age 15, he served as a page to the Duke of York, who was later crowned King James II. When Churchill was 17, he received a commission in the foot guards and began a successful military career. He married Sarah Jennings for love, not money. Although they eventually became extremely wealthy, they had very little money to begin with. Churchill remained in the service of the Duke of York, carrying out confidential assignments for him and accompanying him when he was in exile. He later switched his allegiance from the Catholic James II to the Protestant William of Orange. James II was expelled from England and William of Orange became King William III. William III rewarded Churchill's allegiance by making him the Earl of Marlborough. He was also given military rank in a succession of commands in Flanders and in Ireland between 1689 and 1691, in which he was uniformly successful. He was imprisoned for a short time in the Tower of London on suspicion of working toward the restoration of the exiled James II. Marlborough's influence at court increased when Queen Anne came to the throne after William's death. She made him the Duke of Marlborough. The Duchess of Marlborough became a close advisor and friend of the Queen. Together the Marlboroughs were a central power beside the Queen. The Duke's reputation as a military general was unrivaled until Napoleon. He was also a successful diplomat. He created and maintained the alliance of nations that opposed the French King Louis XIV. Marlborough was a Tory, a conservative who supported the crown, the court, and the church. 
As the old Tories began to leave government, the Marlboroughs advocated an alliance with the Whigs, who wanted to limit the authority of the Crown. The Queen strongly disliked the Whigs. The Duchess's influence on the Queen diminished. The Duke was accused of misappropriating public funds and dismissed from office. They left the country and settled abroad. When George I succeeded Queen Anne to the throne, he restored Churchill to favor. Churchill returned to England, but he no longer played an active role in public affairs. He died at Windsor on June 16, 1722. Life number eight, Malaysia, late 18th and early 19th centuries, male. He became an enlightened ruler known for wise practices often exceeding the standards of his time and place. He repaid his past karma for executing his concubine. She was reincarnated as his wife, and he raised her up and educated her. Later, he gave her honors and wealth. In this lifetime, he also treated other slaves kindly, reduced punishments, motivated people to produce better harvests, and instituted a system of fair taxation. Can you guess who this subject was in this century? I thought you could take a hint. Winston Churchill. <laughs> that often happens, you know. You actually wind up having the same name in different lifetimes. It's funny. This is an amazing life. He lived 1874 to 1965. There are a number of parallels with his life as the Duke of Marlborough. For example, he switched parties from liberal to conservative and back again, just as Marlborough switched his allegiance. Winston Churchill actually wrote a biography of Marlborough that painted him in a more favorable light than other biographies. <laughs> Nothing like doing up your past life. Winston's father was a direct descendant of the Duke of Marlborough. His mother was an American, the daughter of a New York financier. As a young man, he served in the British Army in India and Egypt. He also worked as a correspondent in Cuba and South Africa. He wrote books on his experiences and supported himself on the income from the books. That's better than a nice nin did. At age 25, he was elected to Parliament as a conservative. He lost popularity when he joined the Liberal Party in 1904. Most likely, the reason he switched allegiance was because he disagreed with the conservative leadership's position on trade. They supported a tariff while he believed in free trade. In 1908, he married the beautiful Clementine Hosier. They were happily married for life. This marriage provided a stable basis for Churchill's turbulent career. Wasn't his daughter named Sarah in this life? And you notice that had been his wife before, his wife's name. In 1911, he became First Lord of the Admiralty. He realized that Germany was planning to launch a war when she safely could. Consequently, he began to strengthen the British fleet to prepare for possible war. He was blamed for three important defeats in the war, at Antwerp, in the Dardanelles, and in Gallipoli. But it was later realized that he had not been given either the power or the logistical support to make the campaigns a success. Thus, he was not really to blame. 
Nevertheless, he resigned from government in 1915. He returned to public office as the Minister of Munitions in 1917. He greatly increased the production of war material and supported the development of the tank. The tank later became the weapon that broke through the deadlock on the Western Front. We can see him step by step undoing the karma of allowing the Atlantean province to be invaded without defense. His soul never forgot. His soul took responsibility for that failure, and this time he would do it right. Between 1921 and 22, Churchill served as colonial secretary. He helped negotiate the treaty that created the Irish Free State and was involved in resolving problems in the Middle East. However, he opposed self-rule for India and Burma. In 1924, he returned to the Conservative Party. In 1925, Churchill put Great Britain back on the gold standard. The economy reacted violently. There was deflation, a rise in unemployment, and a miners' strike. Churchill was blamed for the problems. In 1929, the Conservatives were voted out, and Churchill spent the next ten years out of office. During this time, he perceived that Nazism, fascism in Italy, and communism in Russia were threats to democracy. He opposed Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain's policy of disarmament and belief in the mirage of world peace. Churchill urged military preparation, but few listened. When World War II broke out, he was appointed First Lord of the Admiralty. Chamberlain was forced to resign when Germany invaded the Low Countries. Churchill became Prime Minister and brilliantly led Britain through the war. Thus he balanced his karma from the two debacles on Atlantis. He had his shortcomings. He was overly bombastic at times. His inability to oppose Stalin and Roosevelt at Yalta and Potsdam resulted in the enslavement of Eastern Europe. He lost friends through unwillingness to compromise and being too outspoken. But he passed the test of preferring right over popularity that he had failed on Atlantis by allowing the province to be invaded and destroyed. He married his twin flame and paid the remainder of the karma he had of abducting her on Atlantis and causing her death. He has returned to embodiment. Ah, I wonder who he is today, or she. <laughs> anyway, up next, we'll take a look at another famous figure who shall, for the moment, remain nameless. Who is it? Perhaps you'll be able to figure it out before the person is unmasked. We hope you'll come back for that. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Right now, all over the world, warriors of light are working tirelessly to defend your soul's opportunity to achieve oneness with God. These spiritual warriors are keepers of the flame, and though few, the power they wield is greater than all of the weapons made by man. Founded by St. Germain in 1961, Keepers of the Flame is a non-denominational fraternity in the tradition of ancient spiritual orders. When you join, you'll receive a series of lessons that will introduce you to a vast and dynamic spiritual world. See for yourself. Access Lesson 1 right now, completely free. No login required. Simply go to tsl.org 
slash keepers, and in seconds you could be exploring a whole new world of practical Ascended Master teachings. Lessons are printed or available online for any time, anywhere access, and anyone can join. Discover your real self and explore your full spiritual potential. Become a keeper of the flame today and awaken to the light within. Please visit tsl.org slash keepers and prepare to accelerate. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. And welcome back once again. Now, this next individual is someone you all know and certainly recognize, but not at the moment. <laughs> Let's listen. Here we go. This next person is a woman today. And so her first life, we go back to Lemuria, the continent that sank beneath the Pacific. She is female Lemuria sank about 12,500 years ago, or about a 1,000 years before the sinking of Atlantis. At one time, she was high priestess in the temple of the Divine Mother on Lemuria. It was a time of religious decline. On the positive side, she convinced many people to return to worship. She focused a greater flame in Lemuria and prolonged the civilization. On the negative side, she convinced the government to institute a policy of coercion in religious worship. Peasants were forced to go to the temple, sometimes at the point of a spear. Life number two, Atlantis, male. He had the choice to pursue a career in the priesthood or in government. He chose government and became a prominent legislator. He advocated reform in the laws concerning slaves. He was able to make conditions better for slaves and actually instituted a ten-year process whereby a slave could free himself. His private life was a tragedy. During middle age, he fell in love with a daughter of a fellow legislator. He arranged for his wife to be murdered. He ordered a slave to push her over a wall of the garden surrounding their house. The slave confessed to authorities out of feelings of guilt. The legislator was publicly tried and resigned in disgrace. He was exiled to a small island where he lived out his life. The slave was executed. The wife he had ordered killed is one of his children today. The slave is the other. The young girl he was in love with is his, her, twin flame. And she is married to him today. To get these he's and she's straightened out. I'm using the pronoun for the life I'm talking about. So this next life is a female. Life number three on Atlantis. The karma for killing his wife, her wife, was set aside so that he could become yet another public servant. This is one of the amazing acts of grace that God gives us, that the lords of karma give us, that life gives us. It is that when we go before the lords of karma and we are penitent and desirous of atoning for our deeds. They will set aside karma so that we can go forth, keep our word, make good, and create a positive momentum of good karma 
before we have to deal with the descent of the negative karma. So good karma is like money in the bank. It's energy in your causal body. And so God has done this, I'm certain, for all of us at one time or another, where we have sinned and then been profoundly remorseful, and we could go on and serve to set life free, and then come to the time such as this life, when we would have the violet flame, and opportunity and understanding and enlightenment, so that we could deal with some of the harsher realities of our karma, and deal with them with our eyes wide open, that we will get through this, and we will get beyond this karma, because God is just, and because we do have the violet flame. So this time he embodied as a woman on Atlantis. She became a scientist and organized and implemented a new sanitation system for the towns and cities. It eliminated the need for sewer pipes. All waste was processed in the home and either used for energy or picked up by municipal garbage authorities once a month. In private life, she never married. She had a series of affairs in early life. She was unable to develop a stable relationship with anyone because of the sad ending to her past life. Life number four, Rome, first century, male. He was a famous senator who was directly and indirectly responsible for the death of many people. In his early years, he was a soldier stationed on Crete. He raped a girl there. As a senator, he made positive and negative contributions to society. On the positive side, he fought for the enfranchisement of more citizens. On the negative side, he compromised for the sake of politics. He threw his power with the group that lost. There was an uprising. Soldiers came out to crush it. He was exhorting the people to return home and not to revolt. However, he was still seen as a leader of the revolt. As he exhorted the people from the second story of the house, soldiers appeared behind him and stabbed him just behind the collarbone. The lesson he learned was to be careful of which party you side with and not to side with a cause you don't really believe in for the sake of politics. And that is a very important lesson that we all learn on the playground at a very early age. In private life, he had a devoted wife and five children. They survived him. His wife was the one he had ordered to be killed before. He balanced some karma by achieving an intimate, loving relationship with her. He also had mistresses. Life number five, Crete, female. Embodied as a slave to pay back some of the karma he had incurred by raping a girl on Crete. She served as a concubine to a wealthy farmer. The farmer was the reincarnation of the girl he had raped as a Roman soldier. And so it goes. Karma keeps on intertwining. Isn't it amazing? Life number six, Britain, male. He was a member of Parliament during the English Civil War, 1642-51. to He was on the side of Oliver Cromwell and the Parliament. He opposed King Charles I. He was one of the participants in the Rump Parliament, which tried and condemned Charles I to death. Life number seven, Britain, male. He was an oil merchant in London. He got into debt and was forced out of business by greedy competitors. He was reduced to life as a beggar. Eventually, he was murdered and dumped in the Thames. His wife and children starved and died. In this life, he was repaying the karma for a Roman merchant he had ordered to be ruined. The merchant had begged for mercy, but he had no mercy. Life number eight, Britain, female. 
She was born in England but emigrated with her parents to North Carolina during the 1840s. She became a schoolteacher. During the Civil War, she helped to organize and care for the wounded and dying. She used her money to help the sick and bereaved. Many of those whom she helped were those she owed karmic debts to from her life as a Roman senator. She had an ill-fated romance. She met her twin flame during the war. He was killed. She spent only one night with him. She never married. It is often that we have a very brief encounter with our twin flame in a lifetime, and it is a mercy and a grace that is given to us because by reestablishing the heart tie, it sets the sail and the momentum, the direction for them finding one another in the next or the next life where they can be together for a lifetime or for a greater amount of time. You can always see the mercy of the law side by side with the justice of the law if you look for it. Sometimes people forget to say to themselves, it could have been worse. It might have been much worse. Sometimes we're only looking at just how bad things are and not realizing that but for the grace of God, things could be much, much worse that have happened to us in life. Okay, life number nine. Who is she? Everybody's whispering. <laughs> Say something. <laughs> Thatcher, right. See? <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, living, 1925. There's Maggie. So beloved by so many people and so hated by so many people. She was the Prime Minister of Britain from 1979 to 1990. Her father, Alfred Roberts, was the shaping influence in her life. He was a grocer, self-taught and well-read. Roberts was always dedicated to the public good. He was thrifty to the point of being parsimonious, fiercely patriotic, a devoted Methodist who preached at church. She said of him, I owe almost everything to my father. He taught me that you first sort out what you believe in. You then apply it. You don't compromise on things that matter. Now here is an example of someone who has a wonderful relationship to a father that she can admire and respect. I was browsing through a, a bookstore in New York before I came to Atlanta, and I chanced upon a book that was written about fathers and daughters and how key the relationship of the father to the daughter is to her entire future, her sexuality, her sense of herself as a person. The abandoned daughter suffers almost more than the abandoned son, although the abandoned son also suffers when the father leaves the household. No matter what it costs you, as parents, make your peace at some level and stick with your children until they are mature and able to move forward. It is so very important to understand that when you bring forth life, you become responsible for that life, that soul, that psychology, and how they will face the future. Children do not do well without the strong support of both parents. She studied chemistry at Oxford. She married Dennis Thatcher, a well-to-do businessman, in 1951. 
She began to study law and passed the bar in 1953. She had twins, Mark and Carol, in 1953. She was elected to Parliament in 1959 and held various positions in government until 1975 when she became the leader of the Conservative Party. She attacked socialism for creating a spendthrift society. In May 1979, she became Prime Minister of Great Britain. She was the first woman to hold this office. Reviewers of her leadership credit her with having turned around the economy from the wealth-consuming public sector and big unions to the wealth-creating private sector. She initiated the most ambitious privatization venture in the Western world, brought union lawlessness under control, held inflation in check, and revived the private sector by promoting market competition. She resigned in November 1990 after her popularity ratings fell to 23%. The primary issue over which she resigned was the poll tax, a flat tax on everyone in a local community, regardless of each person's income. The amount of the poll tax was to be decided by the local community based on its financial needs. Local governments set the taxes much higher than expected, and Thatcher was the target of the people's blame. Britain was also suffering from increasing unemployment and rising inflation. Polls showed that people thought Thatcher was out of touch with the common people and that she talked down to them. She remains a powerful force in global politics. She was one of the few people who had the courage to say that the civil war in Yugoslavia is a moral issue and that the world has a duty to come to the aid of the Croats and the Bosnians. Oh, this is fascinating, isn't it? It really is. Well, coming up, our weekly Q&A with Sid Bennett. Please stay with us. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. At the Summit Lighthouse, our goal is to help you awaken to the light within and discover your real self. Today, thousands of spiritual seekers all around the world are using the universal teachings of the Ascended Masters to make their higher selves a permanent part of their reality. And you can too. The Ascended Masters are the saints and sages of East and West from all major religions and spiritual paths. They have walked where you walk and understand the challenges you face, and their teachings are always practical. By applying the science of the spoken word through verbal prayers called decrees, the masters teach us how to harness the healing power of the violet flame and other spiritual energies to transform our lives and our world. On The Open Door, it is our goal and great joy to bring you Ascended Master teachings that you can apply in your life right now. To learn more about the Summit Lighthouse and the teachings of the Ascended Masters, visit us today at tsl.org and discover how you can awaken to the light within. It's what you're here to do. Remember, tsl.org. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. 
And thank you for staying with us, everyone. It's interesting, kind of ironic in a way that uh, the subject keeps coming back again and again. Indeed. <laughs> the subject is reincarnating to our program. Um, we just heard, obviously, two very fascinating, and very revealing, and I think very unusual characterizations of a person's life based on what we know from their past embodiments. What do you make of it, Sid? Well, I, I think it's amazing. I mean, it's kind of a jaw-dropping, you know, <laughs> revelation. When you look at, at, at not only these lives, but understand our lives are the same. They're not the same details, but the patterns repeat themselves. And I think a couple of things we need to take away from this is, one is an understanding of where we are, the circumstance we're in today, are a direct result of our karma from previous embodiments, or this embodiment perhaps. And not to blame God for what has come upon you, but to recognize these are forces that we have set in motion by our own actions and deeds. And I think, you know, it's, it's an understanding of that that will allow us to take responsibility for it and saying, boy, <laughs> this is tough, but if I did this, I want to balance the karma so I can move on in spirituality, and my goal, of course, is the ascension. So don't run from your karma. You know, this is what a lot of people do. They become karma dodgers. It ain't going to work. It's going <laughs> to come due one way or the other, and it, why not take care of it now? And so if it's overwhelming, seek God's help. Seek God's intercession, call on the Ascended Masters, do the Violet Flame. You can transmute much of that karma through the Violet Flame, and you might get through this faster than you, than, than you think. So, uh, you know, I think as we heard in the, the Revelation of Past Lives, karma is exacting and is demanding. <laughs> I'll say. You know, and I think this is why this Violet Flame is the gift of God for this age and for our, our souls. Well, I totally agree, and I think you mentioned another very key concept here to keep in mind that we did a show on it. Don't remember when, but it was don't blame God. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves again and again, I think, is that we are accountable for the karma that we have created. And it's accountable to the point where we, you know, I mean, the people are saying, oh, God, why me? Mm-hmm. Now, why? And, well, the answer is in your own karma, your own psychology. Well, it's very humbling to yeah. understand that, you know. But it's it also allows us to really... Surrender to God, I think, at a much deeper level and ask not only for the forgiveness that we need, but the opportunity to balance the karma, which is what, why we came to embodiment, to balance karma so we can move on spiritually. Otherwise, we're on a treadmill. Yeah. And we're, you know, and some of us <laughs> have been on the treadmill for quite a while. I should say. <laughs> Don't want to think about that. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people believe that they would be better off if they knew more about their own past embodiments. But these are, if you will, dead momentums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, what possible good could they be to us in our present lives? I mean, after all, the die is already cast. Yeah, so and, and you know, there's a danger done. in pursuing your past lives, uh, especially if we go through the psychic realm, which the ascended masters do not recommend or support. Um, but number one, you open up the records for that embodiment, and it may not be the time to deal with it. So, you're dealing with all the things you did in that lifetime because you're, you you study it and think about it and so forth. When it may not be God's will this time. It's also can be very humbling. I mean, you hear some of the things that these people did in Boy. previous lifetimes, and I'm not sure I want to hear everything I did. Yeah. I'll just assume I made some big mistakes, but yeah, now's yeah. the time to balance the karma. Yeah. And the third thing is, just because you did something for God 20,000 years ago doesn't mean you can live off that glory forever. You know, It's <laughs> yeah. what have you done lately is what matters. So deal with your negative karma, be grateful for your positive, and use it to build a momentum of service to others and on this trek homeward. Indeed, indeed. You know, um, and of course, knowing me, let me bring this up, that no discussion of reincarnation would be complete 
without mentioning that the early teachings of Western Christianity included belief in reincarnation. In fact, it was a widely accepted doctrine. Why was that doctrine changed? It's very simple. When you want to control people, you limit what they know of who they are and what uh, they can do. And so the plot was, you're worthless sinners, you only have one life, you better do what we tell you, or else you're not going to get to heaven. Mm. Um, you know, it's that simple. Yeah. If you know you're coming back again, if you know God lives within you, if you know all these things, you're going to live differently and act differently and take stands for truth and light and not be on this burden of condemnation, which the fallen angels have put us all under. Mm. So it is a plot. And, you know, I got an email this week from one of our listeners that said, you know, help me to understand some of the quotes in the New Testament that clearly point to the fact that, you know, this is a one-time thing. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's the way you can interpret it. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand that, you know, some of the biblical Bible has been changed and altered over time. And so, and of course, there's a lot of things in the Bible that do point to reincarnation. And, and that was, I think, for the Pharisees, that was an accepted doctrine for them at the time of Jesus. So there's a lot to the hidden history of reincarnation. Um, so just because it's different now doesn't mean it wasn't accepted at one time, even in the Christian world. No, and I think it was probably three or four hundred years into the, um, you know, years after Christ, A.D., when these changes began to be well, made. Well, I think it was, it was the Council of Nicaea. I think it was 323 or somewhere around there. Yeah. When yeah. they finally did away with reincarnation. Yeah. Well, that's a long time after the life of Jesus. So, um, you know, it's a reality. And, of course, most of the world believes in reincarnation. Most of the world's religions do. It's the missing link in Christianity, Christianity, which just happens to be the title of one of Mrs. Prophet's books. That's true. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll plug that book in a moment. (laughs) Good plug. So, you know, what you just said certainly explains why some people steeped in Western religious dogma are, you know, they get pretty riled up regarding the subject of reincarnation. Well, I'll say. But we have to ask the question, what's in it for them to deny these golden opportunities to put their spiritual paths into hyperdrive? Well, you know, this is, this is a complicated question, but look at it this way. The way that Christian theology is today, Jesus loves you, he died for you once and for all, he did it for you, all you have to do is accept him, you're in heaven. You know, it's a neat little package. Yeah. It, it really is. And so, you know, I just have to kind of try and be a good person, maybe not make too many mistakes. Jesus died for me, and so... Well, I'm going to heaven right after this embodiment. So there, you can see the appeal oh, yeah. to the immature spiritual mind, if you will. To get out of jail And to suddenly card. say, <laughs> yeah. you are accountable not only for what you did in this life, but every other past life. And Jesus died so you can have opportunity to balance that karma. He took your sins for a period, but now it's coming back. You know, that's a whole new equation. Oh, boy. And some people just don't want to hear that. They don't want to take <laughs> accountability for their sins. And, you know, that's a mature soul that will say, I made mistakes I don't know how many I've made, but I know I've made them. I'm willing to take responsibility and accountability for them because God has given me the tools to balance them, including the violet flame, including the spiritual path, the ascended masters, the decrees. I have all these things. I have the, everything that needs to make this work. I'm going to do it mm-hmm. because I love God. I want to go home. And, you know, isn't it common sense that we take accountability for what we've done? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just reality. I mean, that's not hard to believe. Yeah, we, we can't be karma dodgers, as you um, said earlier on. Well, you know, you mentioned a book. Um, maybe now's a good time to uh, mention it again, and perhaps one or two others. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which one? Well, you... there's the, the mystic Christ, reincarnation, the missing link Christianity. Which is right. a part of the lost teachings. Lost teaching. Yeah. Uh, we've got... Um, you know, a karma reincarnation little pocket guy, which is a very simple explanation for people. Maybe you want to share with them this one, a basic introduction. And, yeah. of course, almost all our teachings deal with karma reincarnation. Well, let's go back to the one you mentioned before, because uh, it's part of a series on the lost teachings 
Um, and I think the lost teachings of Jesus, we should point out, right. be technically correct here, in that the um, it's the missing t- texts on karma and reincarnation that that particular book covers. We have another book, um, Reincarnation, The Missing Link in Christianity. These are all written by Elizabeth Clare Prophet. If you go to tsl.org or to Amazon, you'll find these books. They're there. And also, we want to mention that the excerpts we've used in the last two shows, and we'll use again a new excerpt next week's show, are from a DVD called Nine Cats and Nine Lives, which examine the past lives of famous and sometimes infamous characters from history that we all pretty much know we can recognize. And they are there to serve as examples of what we can understand about how our psychology is shaped, formed, and influenced by our past lives. So I think it's something we ought to be you know, kind of looking at. And I want to say this, too. Next week, we're going to pick a character you might not expect. <laughs> but this is somebody who has been, in one lifetime, he was, he was canonized. He was a saint. In another lifetime, which we are all familiar with, he was not a saint. <laughs> and subsequent to that, he is a, still an embodiment, as far as we know, in a country where he is serving out some pretty heavy-duty karma. But just want to say this, kind of tease this next show. This yeah. is somebody you've, you've heard his name. He was a saint and a sinner. Indeed. I think that may be said of all of us to a certain extent. To a certain extent. But this is one person in particular who you might not expect to have yeah. been a saint exactly. before. He, uh, the mercy yeah. of God. You know well, I mean? like you were saying, you know, 20,000 years ago, you do something good. It doesn't carry you through. <laughs> no. You know, have courage. Yeah. Have courage to accept the reality of God, the reality of reincarnation, the reality of opportunity, and the reality of your ascension. And a glorious future, if you will choose it. And this is the key. Free will is the key to balancing karma, to making our ascension, and to unwinding every knot we've created in this and previous lifetimes. It can be done. It can be done. And I think on that note, we should uh, perhaps wrap it up because we've come to another end. Another hour is just gone. And want to thank you all for being here. Sid, thank you for joining us again. This is a fascinating topic. I'm really looking forward to next week and doing some more of this. And we want to thank you out there for joining us as well. And if you have any questions or concerns, like we, like we mentioned earlier, simply send them to us at webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. And we will do our best to answer you promptly. We will. Remember, our website is tsl.org. Very simple, easy to remember. And if you go there, you'll find all kinds of tools, techniques, practices, and um, other information for your soul's spiritual journey. In the meantime... Although the upper path may be difficult, the rewards are out Out of of this this world. world. Thanks, everyone. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining us this week for The Open Door. This program is broadcast live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. For more information about The Open Door and the Summit Lighthouse, please visit our website at www.tsl.org. We'll see you again next week.